Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. To you, my beloved listeners, a'udhu billahi minash shaitani rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So when you think of the word trauma, it means different things to different people. But when we talk about trauma in children, again, it means different things to different people. Human beings are created unique and special, and human beings react differently to different situations. Certain ones are things beyond our control. Other things could be a mistake. But whatever the situation is, there are certain things that everyone who goes through a traumatic experience will face physically, emotionally, and mentally, even socially. How do we understand this? The reason that I've chosen this topic today, often teachers, whether it is in a madaris, in a madresa, whether it is in a school, try their best to understand the learners in their classrooms. But when a child experiences something traumatic, that child has difficulty learning in the classroom. And it shows through their behavior, making it difficult for the teachers to understand the situation. And sometimes the teacher, not intentionally, can think the child is being disruptive, being difficult, and that can lead to other problems. But I urge you, my beloved listeners, that if any child that you know has been through something traumatic at home, within their family, please notify the teachers in a school in a madresa to make things easier. We need to break this them and us mentality. We are all on the same page. Likewise, if there's something traumatizing that a child is experiencing at school, it is the duty, it is compulsory for the teachers, for the school, for the madresa to notify the parents. So if I have to think of something traumatic right now, again, like I said, people define trauma differently. But to a young child, if I'm thinking off the top of my head, I would think being bullied is traumatizing. I would think death of a loved one. I would think um, divorce. I would think violence. I would think hijacking, a break-in. These are just some of the examples that I can think of on the top of my head. Sometimes it can even be relocation. It can be separation anxiety. But I'm going to ask the expert, inshallah, to help us understand trauma in children. So inshallah, I am so excited that my guest today has accepted my invitation to come on to Youth Talk. His name is Muhammad Uzair Bamji. He's based in Johannesburg. He's a counseling psychologist, and it's a pleasure to have him on the airwaves with me on Radio Islam International. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Muhammad Uzair, and how are you this morning? Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I am doing very well this morning. Shukr alhamdulillah, Muhammad Uzair. I don't even know where to start when I ask you of trauma because this is something that you deal with on a daily basis. But please, can you define what trauma is? So, you know, when we look at trauma, we need to understand first that trauma is an emotional response, a very 
I'd say simple way of understanding it is an emotional response to a terrible event. However, trauma is also, uh, you know, when we experience stressful, frightening, um, distressing events uh, that makes it difficult for for us as human beings to cope. Uh, and when we find things that are actually out of control, out of our control rather. Trauma, so there's a difference between trauma and a traumatic event. A traumatic event is, for example, uh, I get hijacked today, that is a traumatic event. The aftermath of it is perhaps I'm finding it difficult to cope with, with that event. I'm having nightmares, I'm having shivers, I've got symptoms of anxiety, um, and the, that is a trauma response. So that could be classified as trauma. The event is obviously what happens, and the response is the trauma. That makes a lot of sense. But when we talk about, you know, tra trauma in children, please explain how it affects children. Because as adults, um, I pray to Allah, most of us can identify that all is not well and we seek help. But with children, and, you know, we'll, we'll begin with young children and then adolescents later, if you can explain, um, how does it affect children? So, you know, we first need to understand when it comes to trauma, we need to understand what may be uh, experiences of uh, well, what may be traumatic experiences or events uh, for, for children. Because especially when we look at it in today's day and age, uh, things that have happened maybe 30, 40 years ago uh, to a parent may not have been considered as traumatic based on the time that they were living in. Uh, but in today's times, it would be considered as traumatic. I mean, we've evolved, we've, we now understand the impact of mental health and so forth, right? However, when mm -hmm. we look at these traumatic experiences, we need to first understand that it could be the, the, the basic ones people normally think about is, you know, physical violence, you know, or abuse. Uh, how often do we actually consider uh, the loss of someone, perhaps the child's best friend, granny, grandfather, a significant figure in this child's life. Uh, when we look at divorce, uh, specifically parents fighting in the houses, um, all those are considered as traumatic events. Uh, simple thing in terms of uh, raising, uh, raising your voice to a child, shouting the child uh, without even explaining what has happened as a reason uh, for you raising your voice. Uh, could be uh, prolonged exposure of it is, is obviously traumatic. So that's what we first need to understand that. And when a child actually faces trauma, there's a lot of changes that, that, that come through and we will be able to perhaps unpack it a bit later. But we look at the psychological changes. So their thinking, their thinking, their feeling and their behavior changes. And then we look at physical so sometimes they may even get uh, pains, uh, bodily pains. It may present as medical difficulties, and sometimes it's actually there uh, due to the trauma. Uh, so it's and then obviously, so psychological, physical. Uh, we look at behavioral changes as well. Uh, it does of them perhaps withdrawing, not wanting to go to school, not wanting to engage um, with a particular individual. Uh, perhaps uh, you know the mother or the father. Um, you know, shouts the child regularly, and uh, obviously it's not it's not within the norm. And when this happens, obviously the child that uh, is then put down, their self uh, esteem is is uh, targeted. The child may feel worthless, helpless, hopeless, which are depressive symptoms. 
And as a result, the child may, may withdraw, isolate. Uh, and that is also another symptom of trauma. And when that happens, generally the pattern of that is we end up pushing the child to enforce them to do what we want them to do, but not understanding why they are not doing it. Yes, yes. It can also work on the other extreme opposite where a child can now become violent, aggressive, acting up, bullying other children. Um, because of this trauma where this child will probably feel I'm being, um, I'm defending myself. Absolutely, okay. anger, anger is anger is one of the symptoms that are that also quite quite common, specifically with children. Now we're not speaking about uh, the adolescents and things where perhaps sometimes it's smoking, use of uh, substance abuse, substance use, uh, you know, risky risky behaviors may come uh, into place as well. But of mm -hmm. course, uh, anger is is one of the um, most common ones as well. You know, Mohammed is there. I'm just thinking right now. I just received a comment from someone right now that. Also, you know, um, a red flag to parents and caregivers of children that when a child says he or she doesn't want to go to school and they genuinely say, my stomach is sore, you know, sometimes parents will say, stop acting up, you're just being lazy, you know, um, observe the body language. And sometimes it could also be the teacher in the sense that, like you just gave an example now, the teacher raises his or her voice and the child gets scared. Or maybe there was a time where, you know, um, a child was threatened by a, a figure of authority and now this child has this fear. So can you please elaborate further on the red flags that, you know, all adults should be aware of when it comes to younger children and then we can talk about teenagers a little later. So with the moment, we need to also understand that when a child isolates themselves, uh, there may be feelings of depressed, of being alone. Uh, we, we automatically know, okay, does, does my child usually act? And, you know, they, I, I wouldn't say red flags as per se, but mm. your child used to be doing a certain thing in a certain way. And uh, just say your child was bubbly, for example. And now you notice, okay, you know what? Something is not looking right here with my child. And uh, unfortunately, my child is no longer interacting with people, they're no longer, um, you know, having fun or doing things that they used to enjoy doing, uh, even asking for their favorite meal, for example. Uh, let's look at the simple things first. What changes? Now, as life goes on and as time passes, people do change. However, yes. a child is continuously changing and adjusting to the different events that they have in their lives. But when you see something that's consistent and uh, it's against the norm of your child, something that you have to look look a bit deeper into it. Another thing we have to also take note of, we often, we often push our children to excel in academics, which is obviously important. They need to excel in academics and they need to understand the importance of it. However, uh, when when you see a child is literally trying their best and they're unable to uh, achieve that particular result that they used to achieve, we need to we need to investigate the reason to it. Now, yeah, sometimes it is the school. However, the mind plays a very important role in that. We also have to be aware for learning problems um, in terms of uh, how fast is the child actually learning. Uh, how fast are they absorbing information? Um, we need to look at, you know, their, uh, you know, how they actually study. Uh, do they have that that interest in school? Has the interest has dropped automatically? Now, not every child enjoys school. 
But yes, we need to look at we need we we need to look at how was our child uh, behaving and how is our child behaving currently. So we need to compare the two and always be cognizant of a child's behavior throughout. Mm-hmm. So the moment you see deviating, then we know you know something may be a little bit uh, something may be a little bit difficult uh, or different, um, and that's when we start. Evaluating and investigating a little bit more. And see what's going on. So, you know, when we think trauma, also, we always sometimes jump to the conclusion that it's something big, not to minimize, not to minimize emotions that somebody goes through there. But also, you know, um, I would think comparison of children is traumatizing because, like you gave an example, I, I'm never, you know, like I, I achieved a certain result in exams and I'm not. So sometimes parents could be very constantly critical in the child's view that I'm always being compared to my older brother or this other sibling or this cousin or whatever. So that can also be traumatic in a sense where this child... Um, would develop anxiety, this child will be self-critical, this child will have a lot of self-hate. So so trauma can manifest in many different ways in children, which we sometimes don't realize. Can you please elaborate further? So, you know, when we look at it, I like what you said, we sometimes downplay, um, you know, the, the level of trauma. And, you know, it's often in the practice, what I see when you ask uh, someone or the, the client in front of you, you know, have you, have you experienced any trauma in life? Uh, they always say no. But in actual fact, every individual experiences trauma. It's just that we don't know or understand what trauma actually is. And I like how we started, you know, defining what is trauma. So we often think of trauma as, uh, you know, maybe a hijacking or... Uh, a shootout or you know something massive but a simple thing like you know just telling well bringing a child down uh, you know shouting a child uncontrollably uh, you know targeting the particular child uh, those type of things are all trauma and that's where it actually starts uh, we, we, we look at, we need to look at the attachment as well uh, the attachment between the caregivers and and the child himself and if the child's needs are not met then obviously it can manifest in trauma as well because the, the child then eventually acts out in a certain manner and uh, you know un, unresolved it then becomes unresolved trauma and unresolved trauma leads to difficulties again later on in life so yeah. we have to be very careful in terms of anything can affect everyone yeah i if i um for example, if I if I shout you, it may have a different mm-hmm. impact uh, as shouting someone else. Yes. So we need to be cognizant and aware of who we are, who we are working with, and what approach that need, needs to be taken with this particular individual or child. Hundred uh, percent. Just for clarification for our listeners, um, when I, we talk about caregivers, it's in the sense that you know sometimes a child in certain homes may not have both parents or may not have um, may have lost one parent. So the caregiver would now be maybe the grandparent or the aunt or you know somebody else. So just for clarification, because I just received a comment from someone, um, please define care- caregivers. So just for the sake of education, so just to let you know, and you know caregiver is also a term that is used for obviously somebody giving care to this child. Um, you know, when we're talking right now of young children, um, you know, often when when 
a child is there. You know, we talk about good secrets, bad secrets also. So when an adult says, don't tell someone that I did this because I will kill your parents or I will hurt you or whatever. And when you observe a child um, around a particular adult, or it could be it could be even um, another child, maybe somebody older or someone, this, this child is just uneasy. You know, this child is fearful. This child doesn't want to be in this person's company. This child could find excuses. Um, they those speak volumes. So if you can please share, I mean, I've just given this example, but if you can please share with the listeners, you know, look for the nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. So, so understand. Mm-hmm. So, so baby, I just, when it comes back to the caregivers, I just want to add on to that. Uh, care, caregiver is, could also be the parents of the child. It's, it's anyone, it's anyone. That, that's taking care of the child. Um, it's, just, it's just a psychological term that we use when we say caregiver, but a caregiver is not only a grandparent, or it's anyone that's looking after the child. Uh, we look at the primary caregivers, it should be the, the mom and dad. for sharing that. I learned something new today. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. We always think caregivers would be the secondary party. So Alhamdulillah for, for, for sharing that. Jazakallah so much, Muhammad Uzair. Um, Key, please, if you can also elaborate on this, because you know, I've been receiving a few messages on my personal platforms um, with, with, with physical signs that we ignore, thinking a child is just acting up. And also, please, if you can talk about acting up, because acting up comes for a reason. It happens for a reason. You know, I, I don't like to say the child is acting up and it's a common term and I think it's, you know, because once we're in the field of psychology uh, and we're practicing and things, we end up saying, you know, uh, uh, everything everything becomes a lot more sensitive uh, and uh, I'd say a lot more aware. So when yeah. acting up is more of an expression of the child, when the child acts in a certain way, the child is expressing themselves. So if we look at it holistically and we can even understand it as adults, Every adult has a need. Hmm. And when you have the need, you express that need in a particular manner. Uh, if you are hungry, you'd say, look, I'm hungry and I want food. Uh, we have effective expression and ineffective expression. And uh, the way we actually express ourselves is the way that we have been taught uh, throughout our life, from our relationships, uh, parents, starting from parents, romantic relationships and so forth we end up using whatever we've learned and we execute it later on in life so when a child a child if a child hasn't been taught how to express themselves then they are going to do the next possible thing or whatever they knew that you know what we gain we're going to get the attention of the person we want for example the caregivers Mm. so when you look at it when 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 a baby cries we automatically attend to that baby and you know it's it's so amazing how and often when I, when I work with mothers I often see and the mothers will say you know the child knows I know exactly what the child wants and uh, I still find that really amazing that yeah. they just know what the child wants so the child cries in a certain way and you understand what the child wants that is how the child is appro- it's appropriate communication and expression when the child's a baby mm-hmm. later on in life we need to teach a child how to communicate how to ask for what they want uh, without shutting them down. So if a child does not know how to communicate, then obviously they may act in a certain manner that we find or we interpret to be them acting out. 
But in actual fact, we need to understand why are they acting in this particular manner? What is it that they want? And how can I um, school them or teach them to express themselves effectively? Because obviously, if, if someone says the child is acting out, then automatically it's an unfavorable response. Yes. Yes. So we need to understand Mohamed is there, the question that will come to mind right now is, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You can have three children or four children. They're not going to, I'm going to say, act out in inverted commas in the same way. They're unique. Of course. Absolutely. So I think that's also we need to remember this, you know, because also in a classroom situation, in, in a home situation, we're not all the same. We, like you said, we, obviously we, we're born unique and special. We react to different situations differently. So, uh, I always like to explain it by using our hand. And our hands have, uh, we have five fingers on one hand, but each finger is a different size. Mm -hmm. We cannot classify them as, yes, we all classify them as fingers, but they have different purposes. And one finger cannot necessarily do what the other finger can or can't do. Um, so, we need to be cognizant and aware of the diversity that we're sitting with, especially for the teachers, uh, even parents out there. Uh, you know, different kids respond differently and we need to use hikmah and, and the wisdom in terms of interacting with the child because when we don't do that, we actually contributing towards the trauma of that particular child. And we don't always perceive it as trauma. Uh, I often get people telling me, oh, but I got, I was hit so much when I was smaller, especially the elder, uh, elderly people say, well, I was hit so much when I was small, but I turned out fine. Yes. Uh, that, that, that doesn't, whether they're fine or not, that's a different topic on its own. But when we really look at it, it doesn't justify anything um, uh, entirely because the element of expression was, was not there. It was actually, we say it was repressed and yes. the child wasn't allowed to express themselves effectively. Yes, inshallah, after the advert, we're going to be continuing and there we're going to be hitting the high notes in the sense that, you know, um, teenagers displaying trauma and also um, what happens to childhood trauma if it is not resolved? Because sadly, there are many adults walking around today in denial of the trauma that they've been through and it's sort of permeating into the other relationships. And inshallah, all of this and more after the ad break. My beloved listeners, please don't go away. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. To my beloved listeners, a'udhu billah min ash-shaytani rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Shukar alhamdulillah for another opportunity to try to make a difference, to educate, empower, motivate, and inspire myself first, reminders for myself first, and to you, my beloved listeners. Today we're talking about children and trauma, and alhamdulillah, I'm very honored to have Muhammad Uzair Bamji as my guest today. He's a clinical psychologist, mashallah, very experienced, and, you know, we've been talking a lot about trauma in children, alhamdulillah. We're going to talk a little bit about teenagers dealing with trauma and I've been inundated with messages from listeners which I am going to be talking about as well it was part of our plan so to speak about what do you do when you are an adult 
who has not dealt with childhood trauma and it's interfering in your life now as an adult? That's the big question. So, Mohammed was there, inshallah. I'm going to ask you first if we can talk about the risky behavior of teenagers who have not been dealing with trauma or sort of acting out, um, as we spoke earlier with younger children. Can you tell us a little bit about that first? And then we can talk about um, childhood trauma permeating into adult life. Okay, so just on that note, I'm a counseling psychologist. We often get confused. But mouth, mouth, mouth. <laughs> it's so very, so, very knowledgeable. Alhamdulillah, I'm always learning from you. When we when we look at when we look at the element of teenagers now, we always you know when when we talk of risky behavior, it's generally the drugs, the substance use and abuse. Um, sexual behaviors and so mm -hmm. forth uh, those we, we always look at those risky behaviors and when a child is on on substances we always say or even an adult when they're on substances we always blame it on to bad company well that is partially correct there's an element that bad company does play it is a role that bad company plays in this but how often do we ask ourselves why is it that this particular teenager or individual has actually resorted into using substances. There's, because the substance, is, the substance is a means of coping. That risky behavior is a means of coping. Everything boils down back to our emotions. So by taking those substances, it makes you feel a certain way. By engaging in sexual behavior, it makes you seem, uh, it makes you feel a particular way. This is emotion. Uh, perhaps that calmness, happiness, um, feelings of pride, whatever it may be, there's a feeling that's motivating the um, the action. So we don't, as 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 people, we don't often look at that because the element of responsibility and uh, taking responsibility for the, the child that you actually worth uh is not there no one wants to admit to accept that you know what i've made a mistake in a certain time mm. in my life uh, in terms of maybe disciplining my child or interacting with my child or even looking after my child and it's easier uh, to blame yeah exactly easy, it's so easier to blame somebody else oh the mother she was an absent mother or oh, the father he was never there or oh it must be the school you know the school just spoils them it's it's always somebody else whereas people don't reflect it i must I messed up somewhere, but we can fix. There's always, I can fix. There's always solutions. And in, we know when we look at it from an interactional point of view, in terms of how does the child interact within their system, within the different systems, that's when we need to understand where do they learn how to interact? Where do they learn how to express themselves? Where do they learn how to make sense of situations? Where does it actually come from? Well, school is there to a certain extent. School is there, but most of it stems from the household mm, the interaction the with and it's very difficult for people to actually understand to, to take to take this uh, to take it seriously to say that you know i'm actually responsible for my child and we also can't say that you know everyone's a bad parent because no i, all, I often tell people uh well my clients you know no one taught you how to be a husband a wife yeah. a father a, a, a parent no one there's no school that we go to parenting 101 nowadays there are courses that we can go to but even then you will make mistakes at certain times and it's it's, mm. it's normal to make those mistakes but accepting the responsibility of it is very important so that we don't do more harm 
at a later stage. So when the child uh, ends up acting out, as we coined the term earlier on, uh, you know, that's when everyone starts, you know, saying, oh, well, this child is so bad and this child, uh, you know, gets called different names. And I mean, it, that's a bit late to start when it's there. Uh, let's start off with asking the child, uh, well, what is it that they actually need? How, 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 how do they feel by bonding with the child? And if the child uses substances to escape the difficulties of life, then more work needs to be done in terms of understanding the child, understanding the difficulties and creating a platform or a place for the child to actually express themselves effectively without any judgment. Definitely. I think the big question now that's, you know, a lot of people would, would appreciate clarity on and, and solutions to is what happens when this child is not heard and this child's feelings are not taken seriously. So he or she now grows up into adulthood and you've got this physical appearance of an adult man or adult woman, but inside there's still the scared child. There's this child who has not been taught how to deal with his or her trauma. And now this adult child gets married or, you know, has difficulty forming interpersonal relationships. It could be with colleagues at work. It could be in a marriage. It could be as a parent. This child now is struggling between mm -hmm. his adult body. So basically, in a nutshell, we're talking about unresolved childhood trauma and how it creates problems in your life as an adult. When do we break the cycle? How do we break the cycle? Because you don't want it to be repeated now with your children. So I'm gonna ask you to please, if you can, try to go in as in-depth as you can. So inshallah, we can understand this better. So everyone has childhood trauma, right? Um, unresolved childhood trauma obviously moves back into the adulthood where it starts affecting uh, families, uh, husbands, wives, children. And then we call the generational trauma, the impacts of generational trauma, because the trauma doesn't necessarily, uh, the trauma isn't managed. There isn't, there isn't any change, physical, biological change that is happening, active change that, that that's actually uh, happening within our 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 neuro uh, on the neuro side of things so in our brain and as a result that goes on to our children and so forth so childhood trauma unresolved we can for, for sake of time we just look at it unresolved childhood trauma moves into adulthood but we need to understand why is it that people don't seek help because that's mm -hmm. the most important part People don't seek help specifically within, and I'm going to make it specific for our Indian community, is that mm -hmm. we look at stigma, the stigma of mental health. Uh, you go to a psychologist, there's something wrong with you. People don't like to accept the responsibility or understanding sometimes. I mean, when you come for therapy, uh, a lot of the times you may learn things or, or where behaviors and, and thought patterns of yours that aren't really productive and it's not really nice to understand, to, to actually feel that. But I always say it has to get, it gets, it has to hurt before it gets better. And yes. when I say it has to hurt, I, I, I don't talk about abusive relationships or anything of that sort. I'm specifically talking about realizing our own contribution to our life events, um, how we contribute to it in a negative manner. And when we realize that, you know what, in simple terms that oh, we've messed up in this way, yeah, it's not always nice to hear that. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to understand that's firstly, that's what we need to understand. 
Secondly, we need to look at why, again, what the stigma, why don't we seek mental health support in health? We, we do know that the element of finances is there. A lot of medical aids have mental health benefits and so forth, uh, specifically with your depressions and things. Men- mental health is, is considered uh, amongst the medical aids. So let's remove finance out of the equation. There's also a lot of places where we can receive free therapy or re- therapy at reduced rates. The other thing we need to understand is we often say that going to a psychologist means that you are mad or something is yes. not right upstairs. And, and that's, a, that's a very negative connotation or stigma because in actual fact, we're trying to prevent the element of psychosis and poor functioning. That's what we want to do. By coming to psychology, that's what we do. So we work through the past traumas, understanding what, I mean, life is difficult. Life is tough. Mm-hmm. And as South Africans, we have had to go through so much just to survive. Literally, I mean, we've got the impact of load shedding. We've got school yes. stresses, financial stresses. I mean, which book says you're supposed Still to be dealing violent. with all that? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Which book says you must deal with that all on your own? <laughs> so uh, then when, when we look at men specifically, and I'll come to, to women as well, for men, we always look at ourselves to be the providers, to be strong, to be, uh, you know, this macho in control of everything because that's how society has put men to be. But men are also allowed to experience emotions. Uh, we do sometimes feel weak at times and that's okay because it's a normal emotion. Mm. And we then need to look at by you seeking help, it doesn't mean that you're weak, but by being vulnerable actually is an element of strength because you are you're vulnerable enough and confident, confident enough to say, look, I'm actually not feeling well, I'm not coping very well and I need help. And sometimes, by, a lot of the times actually, as long as you're willing to get help, by taking the help, you actually have uh, contextual change. So in your work, uh, there's changes there, with your family, there's changes there, with your kids, the relationship also improves. So we look at your interactions, your interaction pat- interactional patterns change across contexts. And that's one of the one of the goals, you know, to help the individual become more functional. Then when we look at mothers, specifically mothers, you know, think also you know, they need to be Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My beloved listeners, you know, Mohammed was there, just spoke about something that's also very traumatizing, which is load shedding, which we don't seem to understand that because of load shedding, yes, businesses have closed down. It caused also problems at home, you know, appliances just go boof. And while we were having this very important discussion this morning, Low shedding came and reared its ugly head. Mohammed is there. That's also very traumatic. You're going to have to try and calm me down with us now. <laughs> but on a serious note, you know, on a serious note, we, we do know, um, you know, you were speaking a bit earlier, obviously, about, you know, um, childhood trauma that manifests in adulthood and what happens when we don't resolve it. And think about this, right, which is it's such a logical example. If you all have to think about this, if you have a chest pain and you go to a general practitioner and this person tells you you need to see a cardiologist you're not going to think twice when it comes to mental health i think the problem and i say this often on radio islam loco who syndrome what will people say 
at the end of the day it doesn't matter what people say it's what how do you feel how are you fixing yourself up in the sense where you feel better that's what we forget so you know there's often um, you hear this term the black sheep and you know that's a topic that we need to talk about on another day inshallah muhammad uzair but we say you know the black sheep of the family is often the only one speaking the truth so sometimes the black sheep so called you know the term is the one that went to get help and now you know discovered in his or her childhood this wasn't right or you know every time somebody scolded at me and they raised their hand um i i would shut off so as an adult you know if i'm somewhere and somebody screams at me i go back to the childhood experience and i shut off and you know i hold myself together because i'm scared so you're sort of replaying that moment and if you don't get help um you know they basically say this 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 that that scenario will continuously repeat itself Can you please elaborate further? I know there's a whole lot I said in that little time. Uh-huh. So basically, um when we when we look at this specifically, we look at the triggers, right? So you mentioned someone raising their voice and automatically, you know, you're going back to uh your early childhood and things. So during therapy, those are things that we actually work on. Now, we need to also understand this that uh we can't blame anyone specifically, you know, I am the way I am because of this particular person. Yeah. So it's 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 very 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 difficult to do that because we need to understand that our parents actually did whatever they knew that's best. As I mentioned earlier on, no one schooled them in terms of how to be parents or whatever it may be. They were also in terms of the access to mental health uh back then we need to look at uh the opportunities that they had versus the opportunities that we have. So yeah. that's the first the first point of contact right that we need to understand when it comes to our parents when it comes to going to, to going for therapy automatically what generally happens is people's self esteem gets uh, well improves their self confidence improves their expression of needs identifying uh, what they actually need uh, how they respond all those things are worked on during therapy and sometimes not even directly but indirectly so when that works and uh, when it works the individual obviously improves overall in life then automatically our outside systems start seeing a change and that is not the behavior that we are displaying may not be normal mm-hmm. i think a lot of it also would boil down to to communication communication because that's something that many people struggle with communication why don't we talk how do you talk different people you know you communicate with them differently can you please elaborate on that Okay my beloved listeners I think we we've just lost Mohammed Uzay we're going to try and get him back on but again when I think about communication we're not a one size fits all as human beings we are different people we have different temperaments some of us are sensitive some people would say others would be a bit more assertive others would say others um are quiet and introverted but alhamdulillah all of this makes us unique and special in the sense of alhamdulillah our personalities but the way we deal with different situations is also very unique and i would think you know for myself is um a person um 
you know, moment is there. I was just talking about because I think we lost you there a little bit also just now again. No chatting. But, you know, we're different people, like we said earlier. And unfortunately, we're going to come to the end of the show. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And it all boils down to communication. You know, somebody could be... Someone could identify as overly sensitive. Other one could say, this one's very assertive. So how do we, you know, in your closing comment now, communication, communication, communication. Can you please elaborate further? So obviously, there's communication. Uh, we need to understand how are we functioning with in the systems that we are exposed to within the different environments that we are in, at work, at home, in school, um, with friends. We need to understand firstly how, we, what is our role and where do we fit in. Uh, in terms of how we express ourselves, do I find it difficult to tell people what I need? It's, you know, we often have this thing people say, you know, I'm being straightforward. Very straightforward person. There's a difference between being straightforward and expressing yourself effectively and assertively versus being rude. So we need to understand yeah. how are people actually perceiving me within my environment and how do I perceive myself in that environment as well. Um, and obviously we also have to look at elements of self-development throughout our lives. Even as psychologists, till now, we still go for therapy. Because yes. it's all about self-improvement, self-development, and we, we need to have a sufficient level of understanding of ourselves in order to help other people around us. Uh, and not everyone has that openness to do so, but I think it's about time where the mental health resources, specifically the number of psychologists in, in the country, even though it's, we're in demand, but the number of psychologists in the country is growing. The, yes. the need for psychology is increasing. And while we have the opportunity, I think we should make maximum, take maximum benefit from that. Whether we're men, women, Muslim, non-Muslim, whatever it is, nothing is preventing us from seeking mental health help. Most definitely. Jazakallah khairan. For your time and expertise, Muhammad Uzair Bamji. First time today on News Talk, but definitely not the last time. May Allah reward you in abundance and accept from you your efforts, inshallah, inshallah. My beloved listeners, we've come to the end of today's show for News Talk. I ask that you please remember us in your du'as. Please, please be mindful of your behavior towards other people. Look, and not just the obvious, look beyond when people act in a certain way, when children act in a certain way, make them feel comfortable and allow them to express themselves. Teach them how to express themselves. Also, when somebody becomes hostile towards you, when somebody is, is angry, ask them, find out. There's always a reason. When you are alienated, at some point, you are going to retaliate. Obviously, there's a root cause for everything. When it comes to communication and understanding with empathy, it makes a huge difference and it will always, inshallah, be a win-win situation. It's just a matter of people sitting together and speaking from the heart as honestly as they can. And when we do that as adults, we are teaching young children to do the same. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant ease to everyone, inshallah. On behalf of myself, baby Aisha here, my sound engineer, Muhammad Mutara, and everyone here at Radio Islam International, we ask you to please remember us in your du'as. We make du'a for everyone as well. Inshallah, until we speak again next week, Saturday, may Allah keep everybody safe. May Allah increase everyone, especially our youth in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And remember, please don't stop talking about Palestine. Never underestimate the power of dua. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.